grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know about you, but I think I could listen to Haley sing for a long, long time. Man, does she have a beautiful voice. And between her and Heather, holy smokes, I could hear Heather read, I don't know, anything, but it was just fantastic. I kind of felt the spirit there at that point, the way she says common. I love that. It's just fantastic, right? Spirit of God, it's Pentecost Sunday. It's a Sunday to kind of get a little fired up and think about the, the birth of the church and the new birth that we have in, in Jesus Christ. And that He's not left us abandoned and alone and all by ourselves, but has come to us with His Spirit, a Spirit of mercy, a Spirit of grace, a, a Spirit that touches hearts and lives and says, let's get up and let's get going. No other movement in the history of humanity. No other religious person has ever said and fulfilled the promise, I'm pouring out my spirit upon you. And then the wind and the flames and, and all of those things. Pentecost is kind of a fancy word for 50 days. It was 50 days from Jesus' resurrection, 50 days of seeing people, 50 days of making himself known, 50 days so that when people look back, they'd be able to look and say that Jesus who died on Friday was raised up and we saw him. He kept his word. And it's the gift of God's Holy Spirit as God's presence with us here and now I feel like every sermon I've preached over about the last six months has had as its focal point, don't be afraid. <laughs> and why? Why can that be preached with such great conviction? And why can that be heard in such a powerful way so that it steals your heart? And it's because the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Something resonates inside of your heart. When you're called to courage and faith rather than fear and doubt, that's the gift of God's presence, His Spirit with you. Here and now, the same Spirit that was poured out in Acts chapter 2. And as Peter leads his hearers that day from this bizarre set of events, from wind and fire and all of those things, as he leads them to the specific pieces, he leads them to Jesus. He leads them to the cross. He leads them as any good teacher would do, from the abstract to the concrete, from philosophy and ideas to Lord and Christ. And then Peter says, let's go, let's go. Now's the time we're going, as Jesus said, go into the outskirts of the world, to the edges of civilization. Those disciples, the 11 of them, plus all the other ones, went. The mission was to go, not to sit. And so they went. As you sit and think through this a little bit with me from Acts chapter 2, I have a question that I want you to kind of mull over in your mind's eye a little bit, and that is, can people change? Or, or a little more widely stated, do you believe that people can change? Sometimes I wonder. I work with a lot of people. And I work with a lot of people whose lives are kind of like cement. They were, you know, put molds and forms and then it got really hard and really immovable and really heavy and, man, any movement would have to be microscopic. Sometimes I wonder if people can change. 
Paul writes in the book of Romans chapter 12 that there is a transformation that takes place in the mind of a Christian. Be renewed by the re-energizing of your mind. But do you believe people can change? People maybe in June who are celebrating anniversaries saying, I know I can change, but I'm not sure about him. And I kind of wonder about, about that. Do you believe that those we know and love can be changed or transformed? That their lives can be moved from where they're at, maybe struggling, maybe going through a specific issue of illness or depression or whatever, and moved in time, into, into a time of relative healing and strength? And, and what about you? Even our own thoughts and attitudes. Sometimes I struggle with that. I'm a German for goodness sakes. When is the last time a German ever changed their mind or softened their heart or had an attitude that said, you know what, I'm open to a new idea. In my own thought life, I, I wrestle with that sometimes. And I'll read something and I'll go, wait a minute, Tim. You've got to think about it. You can't just dismiss this because it's not something you believe in. Maybe if you dwell on this a little bit or think about it, even your Germanic hard-nosed attitude will be changed. And sometimes, sometimes changing that attitude about another person is a chore and a challenge as well. But we see Acts chapter 2 through Peter's eyes. If anyone knew if a person could change, it would be Jesus to Peter and Peter to Jesus. I love Peter. When I get to heaven, I want to play pinochle with Peter. I have a ham sandwich with Peter. I want to hang out with Peter. I think Peter's going to be the life of the party and I think Paul's going to be surrounded with books. It's just my weird thing. And I'm willing to be persuaded. Whatever. But Peter was constantly over-speaking, constantly. It, it's as if in the, the Gospels, Jesus would stop and then Peter would keep on going. Never will I leave you, Lord. All these other losers will leave, but I'll still be here. And Jesus is right, Peter, you always talk so big. Or in the garden, the, the, they, they have their conflict. Peter drags out the sword and cuts off the guy's ear. And you can just see Jesus as he glues the ear back on say, Seriously, Peter, if my kingdom was more about swords, don't you think it would have armed all these guys? But it always seems to be Peter over-speaking, over-talking. Everyone else will leave, but not me, Jesus. All these other guys will be gone. And then who does Jesus have to call out? The impulsive the one who kind of, as we recognize teachers today, Peter, kind of the one who had to sit in the front of the classroom because he was a wiggle worm in kindergarten or didn't do his Spanish homework or couldn't even log into the program he was supposed to do to get the learning from the master. Impulse control problems, Peter. Always having to be reined in. And at this point in his life, confused and hurting. Peter knew that when he denied the Lord Jesus and did it three times, he knew that he knew that only Jesus could transform that heart and renew his spirit. 
So he's confused and hurting. And then in John 21, he's brought back into fellowship with Jesus. He's called to be a disciple again. And Jesus says to him, Peter, follow me. And through that time of confusion and hurt, he was now in Acts chapter 2, restored and focused. So he's the focal point. He's the voice. He's the voice of this whole movement. I love that. That a guy who was a fisherman who was hurt and broken just weeks earlier now stands up in front of everybody else and says, let me tell you exactly what's going on. Perhaps that's because he saw it firsthand and he knew exactly with the transforming power of Jesus in a heart of an impulsive, hurting, needy person. And so this scripture, Acts chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, which Heather read for us, I love this. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. And you can almost feel the disciples cringe. Ah! Could you, Andrew, could you get him to sit down? James, maybe. Oh, Peter, here we go. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Peter knew what was going on. The Spirit of God working in the Word and the promise of Jesus. Now Peter's eyes are open. Now he's got it figured out. Instead of shrinking back, he's saying, now it all fits. The gears are meshing. This Jesus who was died and buried and has risen again is Lord and Christ. And he forgave Peter and he restored Peter by the power, the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Peter tells the story of Jesus. He's got all his points in there. This Jesus whom you crucified, this one who suffered, died, and was buried, this one who did miracles, who is attested to you and by you, this one who you heard teach, this one who healed the sick and raised the dead, this one, this Jesus, this Jesus is Lord and Christ. At the heart of of his message is Jesus. This Jesus is Lord of Lords and the promised one, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. He's the one who, who God had promised of old and to whom he delivered and who he delivered as the Savior of the world. And in his death and in his resurrection is the transforming power of the good news. And then Peter in his sermon calls his hearers to action. I always maintain, and you've probably heard me say, this was the best time in the history of the world to take an offering. You've got wind and smoke and fire and flames and all this stuff. Now what? Shoot, you got them where you want them. Pass the plate. Let's go. Let's give the Spirit some resources. Uh Uh-uh. So what does Peter say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, that you may receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all whom the Lord our God will call. He gets it. He's got it. The gears mesh. He's gone from impulsive to transformative. He's gone from being a spectator to being the focal point of the movement of the church of Jesus Christ. And with Him... In that transformation, a crowd is transformed 
from a crowd to community, people kind of hanging out and doing their things and speaking in other languages and sharing a moment, saying, this is great, this is, this is unreal, what's going on? And then they were transformed them from that community to the church of Jesus Christ, Acts 2.44, now all who believe were together. And they kept on gathering together and they kept on doing their thing day by day, Sunday by Sunday, generation by generation, calling upon the name of the Lord and re receiving the gift of salvation through the good news of Jesus Christ. And on Pentecost Sunday, the church is born. And so I come back to that question. Do you believe that people can change? Maybe you want to come over to teaching church afterwards and ask Pastor Trevor. I don't know, but he does for sure. You can ask him anything you want. <laughs> He's afraid I'm going to do that and pull the rug out from underneath him. I'm not going to do that. Do you believe that people can change? Do you believe that you can change? Or maybe better spoken, do you believe that God can change people? And do you believe that God can transform you? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit is a transformational gift. It's the gift that calls us into the faith, that lights up our eyes with the love of Jesus, and that blesses and sanctifies our hearts as we follow Jesus. For those of you who don't have 20-20 vision, <laughs> that could be the smallest slight I've ever let go like that. People change beginning with repentance from turning on the track and the path we're on and turning away and turning toward the Lord Jesus. Transformation starts with the turning away from self and a turning toward God. Knowing and holding in our soul that we can turn towards God because He's gracious and merciful towards us and not an angry, vengeful, mean God. And transformation continues with Jesus' amazing grace. As Jesus sat with Peter and talked to him about his incredible love, so he sits with us this morning. And that little voice on your shoulder that says, you can't change, no way. It's the Spirit of God that blows that up and says, oh, no, 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 no. The death and the resurrection of Jesus is, is applied to you. You belong to me. You belong to me. And anything that would keep you from me, I've forgiven and handled at the cross. And my amazing grace allows you to forgive yourself because I, as your Lord and Savior, forgive you as well. From repentance to amazing grace to a community. The Christian faith is never meant to be lived alone. I, I, I struggle so much with the online thing, right? We did a good job with it. And, and, we, and we can look at it and say, you know, we have 8,000 hits and this and that and all that stuff. But you know what? It, 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 it's not like being here. The Christian faith was not meant to be lived online by ourselves in our home, just kind of doing our thing. But the Christian faith was meant to be lived out in community. And part of that is that there's days that I need you and I need you to wrap your arm around me and say, Tim, we love you, and Tim, you're okay, and Tim, 
And sometimes I need that other side to say, Tim, that wasn't okay, and Tim, that wasn't smart, and Tim, that didn't hang together, and there's days like that too. There's days that I need you, and there's days that you need me. Pastor, I need you to put your arm around me. Tim, I need a little encouragement today because the tears are coming easy and I'm tired and I'm kind of worn out. And so God in Christ puts his people in community so that we can live together encouraging and lifting one another up day in and day out. I don't mean to disparage and badmouth the online church. I'm just telling you, it's not as good as being there because transformation involves community. And some say, Pastor, I'm not sure how patient I want to be with that change. If your sermon of 17 minutes doesn't change my spouse of 35 years, then I've given it a chance. I had a person come up to me and, and they said the funniest thing, right? They said, you know, Pastor, I've come to church twice a year for about 12 years and I got nothing. <laughs> I go, well, you come on Christmas and you come on Easter. He goes, right. My wife makes me come on Christmas and Easter. I got no transformative power whatsoever. I think this Jesus stuff. And I'm just like, okay, I'll solve your problem at the steps after church. You give me 10 seconds to figure this out, right? The Spirit of God continues His persistent, ongoing work in our lives. This morning we're recognizing Gretchen Carrick, who's a kindergarten teacher for how many years, Gretchen? 27 years? For goodness sakes, Gretchen can tell you, kindergartners aren't finished products. <laughs> and if they are, we need to get you a bigger gift than we got because holy smokes. Right? The Spirit works until we're home. Rounding off those edges, softening up those hearts, singing the songs of faith and hearing the words of Jesus day by day and bit by bit. Perhaps one of the reasons why America is so disillusioned and struggling right now is that we need to have everything immediately rather than the crafting, lifetime molding of God's Spirit working in our lives. I believe that people can change. And I believe that God changes people. And I believe that He's changing you right now as His Spirit breathes upon your soul. There's change going on around us. Pastor Nathan had a baptism yesterday. And it was a baptism that was a function of a funeral that I had done. A young girl who had just had a baby who had gone to school here years before for just a couple of years knew that this place was a place where she could get wholeness and healing. And after she had her little baby, she passed away. We did that funeral. The 12 of us gathered right where Tina and Pastor Stottero are sitting. Probably the most gut-wrenching funeral I've had in the last 10 years. As the father sat despondent on the, on the side, on the, on the aisle here with the little baby wondering who in the world's going to be the mommy and how in the world is this going to work. Yesterday the husband and the cousin were baptized into Christ and the community of the church working through Pastor Nathan was here for them in a moment of great need. 
I believe that God can transform hearts and lives. And I see it in our community day by day, week by week, bit by bit, generation by generation. And I love the affirming work of our church, loving other people and providing grace for them. One of the things that sets our church apart is that we're focused on grace and the kind of the soft things of God rather than the judgmental pieces of God. And people will come and they'll say, all you Christians are so judgmental. And I said, have you ever been to St. John's? They go, well, no, but I know all y'all, 80 million Christians, you're all a bunch of judgmental hypocrites. Really? Let me tell you a little bit about the affirming work of our church in the community of Orange and the greater community of Orange County. Let me tell you about teachers who love children and bring them grace every single moment those children are in the classroom. The affirming work of our church loving other peoples demonstrates to me the reality that God's Spirit still works to transform hearts and minds today. And your lives are spirit-led. And God uses you. You have not delegated all of the Spirit's work to me and Pastor Trevor. It just doesn't work that way. Peter was not, do you realize, Peter did not have a divinity degree from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis? Do you realize that? He would not fall within the Constitution and bylaws to serve as a pastor and preach on Sunday morning right here, right now. <laughs> That's awesome. Think about that. You see, God uses people like us. He doesn't use the, the big, wonderful, powerful people of all the time. He uses us. The imperfect, the impulsive, the hurting, the struggling. The ones who can't necessarily sit still. The ones who can't necessarily control everything. But who love and know how to love and care for people. Seems to me that's the point of Pentecost. And that's the power of the Spirit living in you and working through you. In the name of Jesus, amen.